Moncrief on News Talk. Jonathan DeBurka Butler joins us once again, as he always does on a Tuesday, to bring us some stories from other parts of the world. Afternoon, John. Sean, how are you getting on? Uh, right, the US we're going to go to first, and uh, this is uh, Volkswagen cars. Is it the cars or parts that are stuck in a port someplace? The cars themselves, because they have the parts within. Right, uh, okay. So, so um, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 these are thousands of cars, apparently. These are Porsches, Bentleys and Audis, right? all of which are owned by the parent company, Volkswagen that are stuck in these US ports because apparently they have violated US uh, anti-force labour laws, right? Now, um, it should be said uh, at the start, because I don't want to forget this, that Volkswagen have owned up to this straight off the bat. They're cooperating and they're the ones who drew attention to this particular case. Now, that's probably something to do with stuff that happened years ago with Volkswagen yeah. as okay. well. So there's yes. reputational Indeed. damage that they don't want to... Uh, repeat. Do, yes. They don't want yeah. to repeat. Um, so so that might have something to do with it. And it is a very small element, right? So this is uh, a subcomponent that came from a supplier of theirs. So you can imagine that it came from a supplier of a supplier of a supplier. And what the problem is with this is that it's thought, but we don't know for sure, this has been, and this was reported by the Financial Times last week, it's thought, but we don't know for sure that this tiny electronic component that's in these cars might have come from Western China, might have come from Xinjiang, okay? Mm. Where, of course, we know there are uh, Chinese Uyghurs, Muslim mi- uh, minority within within China, but a majority in uh, Xinjiang, although close to not being that. But anyway, that's a side issue. Um, and they're not being treated very well, right? Yes, some people to are saying mildly. that it's, to put yes. it mildly, yeah. some people are saying that it's a genocide. At the very least, um, um, they are being uh, uh, culturally retrained or re-educated, as the Chinese are calling it themselves. So there's mm. a tacit admission there that they do this kind of thing. Anyway, um, so VW owned up to it, as I said, and at the moment these uh, these cars are stuck in in these ports and they can't go off to the the retailers, all right, off to the dealerships. And obviously that's causing consternation mm. for the dealerships. Um, so an investigation has been launched. Uh, they're going to see, uh, can they replace all these components, get a new contractor? Uh, and uh, it's, I don't know, it's a total mess uh, yeah. altogether. And, and, and what do the US authorities want? Do they want these parts to be removed from the cars or yeah. are they waiting until so, it's established whether they were made in China or not? Well, that's the first thing that they're going to have to have to establish. I mean, I, th- I think it's the, the fact that they they would be made through forced labour. Now, yes, there is a sure. small loophole here that Volkswagen might be able to get through. And that is that this ban on imports from Xinjiang has been put in place since December of 2021. And that is... How, that ban is there if you can't prove that forced labour was used in the production of whatever product it might be. Now, as a result, lots of companies have actually pulled out of Xinjiang. Mm. They just don't want to be associated with the area at all. At all. But Volkswagen have stayed, right? And there was another report that came out quite uh, quite recently uh, involving a test track that was made in a place in Turpan, and there was accusations around forced labour being used to make that test track. Now, Volkswagen are saying they have no evidence of it whatsoever, but they will investigate. And if any evidence is brought to them, they'll look into it further. So that means that they are now thinking about getting out of Xinjiang altogether because yeah. the associations just of being there don't look good at all. Yeah. Um, but what's going to happen with these components at this stage? We don't know. As I said, they're looking into getting replacements. And I assume what will happen is that those thousands of cars will just have the component taken out and replaced with with something new. That's if they have been proven 
to come from Xinjiang in the first place right, and okay. been, you know, made through forced labour. Okay. That's a, that's a high burden of proof then. Yeah. Really. It is. Uh, I, I would have thought. At the same time, Volkswagen's kind of tardiness in pulling out of Xinjiang altogether, uh, whereas so many other companies were, uh, yeah. might kind of cast a wee bit of suspicion their way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So it's, it doesn't look good. Uh, yeah. But but anyway. Yeah. Uh, so there's no time scale in that. They they probably have no idea when they get, this thing's going to be sorted out. Yeah, I, I have no idea of when, yeah. when they're going to have results. I assume it's, I assume it's going to cost car dealerships. I'm assuming, you know, the ports being held up as well. All of that costs money as well. So I imagine they're losing it millions. Yeah. Right. Uh, we'll move on to now. Yeah. Uh, Mayotte, uh, which is, uh, uh, so tell us where Mayotte is and, and what its relationship is to France. Right. So, so Mayotte is just above Madagascar, right? And I'll give you a little bit of historical context if mm-hmm. I can. I'll keep it short. Uh, it was a French, it's been a French possession since 1841, right? Uh, along with three other islands, right? That now make up Comoros. And back in 1975, those four islands had a referendum. Three of them decided to go off on their own and become the Comoros Islands. And one of them, Mayotte, decided to stay with France, all right? Mm. And has remained with France ever since. It was a French overseas territory, but back in 2011, it became a département. Okay, which is basically a part of France. Yeah. Uh, and so they get all the benefits of that. And so in recent years, because I suppose of migration and various different things that have been going on, a lot of people have been coming from Comoros to Mayotte. I suppose it's been happening in dribs and drabs anyway, yes. but the, the, the numbers have really gone up now, right? And what's happening is there are people in Mayotte who are seeing a relationship between an increase in gang violence and crime and that kind of thing in the country and migration, right? And there are an awful lot of people, and this is basically all political parties in Mayotte, who want to somehow put a stop to that migration, Mm. okay? And they're saying that one of the incentives for people to come from uh, Comoros and other parts of of Africa as well is the fact that when when you come there and you're born there, you get Jusoli, all right, or Juste de Terre, or whatever it might be, birthplace citizenship. Yes, okay? right, okay. Um, and so what the French have decided to do, or the proposal that the French government are now putting forward, is they're going to get rid of it in Mayotte. And this is causing consternation, not just in Mayotte, where most people are quite happy about it, yeah. at least the French passport holders. Mm. But back in France, it's causing absolute chaos, as you can imagine, because the, the, the left are sort of saying... Okay, well, if you do this, what's going to stop you from bringing it into the whole of France? Mm. The writer saying, okay, this is great. This is exactly what we need to do in France. We've got 150,000, whatever it is, over 140,000 asylum requests last year. So this is the kind of thing that we absolutely need because they're all coming here because they want their babies to be born in France and have the benefits of it. Oh, word. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So what the, what Macron and, and his government are proposing is we'll, we'll do this, we'll rescind the Jus Soli mm. or the, uh, the birthplace rights to, to citizenship in Mayotte, but we'll leave it at that and it's not going to go any further. Yeah. And uh, can they be absolutely sure of that? Well, that's the thing. And, <clears throat> and it's funny because when I was looking at this, I was thinking to myself, you know, this is the type of thing that got, got David Cameron do you know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. what Macron needs in order to get this push through is he needs support. So he needs, because it's a constitutional change, so he needs a, either a referendum, a simple majority in that, or he needs a three-fifths majority, I think, in, from both houses. And he doesn't have the numbers at the moment. So he's going to have to go to other parties in the opposition, 
might have to go to Marine Le Pen and will Le Pen come back and say, OK, this is grand, but let's go a little step further. At least let's investigate this. And then the thought is that they might be able to jump off that in the next election and say, OK, look, the template is there. You know, mm, let's use the, so you, 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 let's use the template from Mayotte, and and this will solve all our problems. Yeah, what's the population of Mayotte? Three hundred thousand. Yeah, and about half of those don't have French passports. Yeah, for yeah, the, the huge ramifications for a relatively but, tiny part of France. You, if you, you want to put it that it's way, it's one of these things you just don't know when you start something where where yeah. it's going to go. Uh, so it, it's it's a fascinating one to watch. Yeah. Again. Right, Saul, we're going to go to next, where uh, some police officers there uh, have been sentenced for uh, hiding evidence. Yeah, so do do you remember that terrible crash that happened in October, crush, sorry, that Mm. happened in October of 2022? It was in a a nightclub district in Ijewan. So the lockdowns had just been lifted from the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, there was loads of people out in their 20s and 30s and they were partying and they were in this night area that's full of nightlife. Um, And they all descended into the one area. It was kind of a Mm. a laneway and they were crushed. 160 people died, 159 at the time. And then later on, a a poor, poor individual um, died by suicide. And so he was counted as as one of those um, who had died. Uh, And so it's taken a long time, but an investigation came together and that investigation recommended that at least 23 people should be indicted, right? Now, the first three people have been charged and, and convicted and sentenced, right? And um, they're senior police officers. And what they did was they apparently destroyed evidence that was linked to that particular crush. So there was, before the Halloween events happened, there was a report put together. And in the report, it was said, this particular area was at risk. Yes. No action was taken whatsoever. And those, some of those reports were then destroyed by these three police officers. Now, they varied in rank. So the, the, the fellow that was of the highest rank, he got one and a half years Next down got one year and then the, the, the least senior got, or the most junior, whatever, got four months um, in prison, all of which have been suspended for three years, which I find kind of extraordinary. I would have thought they would have been flung straight into jail. Like, yeah, I don't understand yeah. why they've been suspended, really. Uh, right. OK, yeah. And uh, have they been dismissed as members of the police? They were dismissed yeah. beforehand, actually. Yeah. Um, but it, it seems that more, more, more heads will roll in this. As I said in the report, 23 people. Uh, are recommended for for indictment, and uh, I know that there's another senior senior police officer who's who's going to stand trial, and he could get something like five or six years for his part. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Bali. We're going to go to next the island of the Indonesian island of Bali, where people are going to have to pay tax to go. In. Now, this is Bali's. I'm going to dismiss, but it's kind of like Tara Molinas for Australians. Uh, in, yeah, I, in, yeah, a lot of Australians go yeah, there. I think yeah. there was 4.8 million tourists visited Bali between January and November last year. And I think a lot of those were Australians. Mm. Now, Bali is the size of Mayo, right? Yes. So 4.8. <laughs> oh, God. It's very yeah. small, right? Yeah. Uh, so 4.8 million tourists visiting that place. And most of them, let's be honest with it. They're off their head most of the time, yeah, and okay. uh, right. Uh, so it's 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 a place that's known for partying, and I don't think all of the locals are that um, find it that fantastic all the time, yeah, right? And in yeah. recent months, there's been recent months and years, there's been problems. So there was a Russian man deported from the, the island basically for stripping off naked at a sacred site. I think we might have reported on that. <laughs> We certainly reported on the Russian couple that had sex on Mount Bator, which was another holy site that happened in 2021. So um, they're trying to clamp down on the way that these tourists act and behave on the islands and and that kind of thing. And so they've introduced this entry tax 
of $10, 150,000 rupiah um, uh, for entering the, the island. They say that's to protect the island's environment and its culture. Um, if it's going to stop people from having sex in sacred sites or that, you, I don't you, know. You wouldn't think so. $10 <laughs> probably isn't going to make that, that much difference. To I wouldn't think so, to be honest with you, but at least people can be seen to pay for it. But it, there's something of a trend seems to be happening here around, to, you know, famous tourist sites. Venice did something recently uh, that was similar, as far as I know. Um, uh, yeah, so well, I think the, yeah, the difference in Venice, of course, is that it's literally sinking. sinking under the weight of, uh, yeah. of all these people. Well, this Hopefully is sinking under morality uh, yeah, issues, uh, probably, probably, Sean. True, yeah. is, yeah. uh, right, uh, Canada, we're going to go to next, where uh, some kids are, are selling art they just didn't know they were. <laughs> yeah, this is, um, God, this is a bizarre story. This involves a man by the name of Mario Perron. I actually tweeted out some of the art that he was selling. Mm. So at the Burke of Butlin, you can have, have a look at it there. Some of it's very nice, but it's, it is, it's yeah. kids' <clears throat> paintings. Yeah. Like, you know, these are junior high schoolers, so these are not, uh, these are not old people. Like, these are 12 and 13-year-olds. Uh, so this happened at, in Montreal's Westwood Junior High School when parents made a chance discovery. Uh, they went on, they knew their teacher was an artist and that he sold his own art online. So one of them went online and said, we must have a look at mm. Mr. Perron's work and see what he's like. And they went on and they discovered their own children's work was being sold there. So there was As his own work? No, I, I don't know if he was selling it as his own work. Certainly the title seemed to indicate um, that he was acknowledging the input of the children, right? So one of them, for example, is called Julia's Creepy Portrait. Another one is uh, Charlotte's keep, Creepy Portrait. So he, I don't think he was passing them off as his own. Mm. Uh, I don't know what he put in the description, though, whether he said, these are my students. He certainly didn't inform them. Mm. Uh, and the parents were not happy about what had happened. And he was charging quite a bit of money. Like, I mean, there was coffee mugs that were being sold for $41 a pop. And some of these portraits were being sold for over $100. <laughs> uh, so, so he was doing all right out of it. If yeah. he was actually selling them, I don't know, to be honest with you. Yes. My word. And and uh, what happened to him as a, as a result when this was discovered? Well, well, the the links now to those particular pieces have miraculously disappeared. He mm. hasn't made any comments. So I think it was Canadian TV or whatever, CTV or whatever it's called, I can't remember, mm. um, approached him and he said nothing. Uh, but then the links all came down and all the social media accounts have been taken down as well, presumably by himself. And um, the parents' reaction to it has been you know, one of outrage. They're basically saying, you know, they can't believe that their children are coming home and they're telling their parents, you know, my art is being sold for but, but, uh, And has he been fired? And I suppose, has he broken any laws? I don't know. I don't know. Nothing has been said really from the school. I couldn't find anything. I looked mm. for an update today yeah. and I couldn't find anything on it. I, it just seems to be in limbo at the moment. Um, but I assume he's, because it's really being reported quite widely, like it's in... It's not just in Canada; it's in the Daily Mail now, and all sorts of things. Uh, so I assume he's not going to—he's uh, not going to live it down. So I, I doubt he'll have his job uh, for yeah. much longer if he still has it. Right. So what should we look out for over the next week or so? Okay. So uh, I think tomorrow and the following day, junior doctors in England and Wales are walking out on strike uh, over pay issues they've had. Uh, Saturday, it's the two-year anniversary of the uh, wow. start of the war yeah. in Ukraine. Can you believe it? And then uh, Sunday, uh, the day after, early voting begins in the Russian presidential elected elections in what is expected to be a very 
tight contest. And of course, the word voting was in inverted commas there. <laughs> uh, Jonathan DeBarca Butler, uh, thanks a million as ever. You are Good. listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.